wildernesses eventually end. They're usually longer than we'd like them to be, but eventually wildernesses end. We've been in this series we're calling Wildernesses for seven weeks now. Some of you wish the sermon series ended a bit earlier. But they do eventually end. Wildernesses are those seasons in our lives where we are uncomfortable. They're usually marked by loss of resources or the death of someone or something we love or uncertainty about what's coming next. And in the wilderness, as we've seen over these last several weeks, all pretenses are stripped away. We are often exposed for the sinners that we are. But more importantly, God is revealed as the Savior that he is. But wildernesses eventually do end. God eventually releases us from wildernesses. But what we see in today's story and what I see in our world today is that sometimes, even when God releases us from a wilderness, we, in our rebellious hearts, for some reason, choose to stay in the wilderness. Or we create a new wilderness of our own construction. That's what the people of God did here in Numbers chapter 14. God was ready to release them from their wilderness and send them into the promised land. And with their rebellious hearts, they rejected that and they chose a new wilderness of their own creation. And it was a toxic blend of nostalgia about the past and worry about the future. That's what kept them in their wilderness. Let's look at it again. If you've turned to Galatians in your Bible, go ahead and turn back to Numbers chapter 14. We're going to look at this narrative together to see this interesting truth that even when God releases us from the wilderness, sometimes we create a new one on our own. Let's look at this. Numbers 14, we'll look at verse 2 right now. They've just received word. Before we read this, let me remind you where we are in the story. God's people, it's been one year since God released them from the slavery in Egypt. He opened up the Red Sea. He brought them out into the wilderness. It's been one year, and they've just sent spies into the promised land, and the spies have come back to them with a mixed report about the promised land. They show them big, beautiful, juicy grapes. There's fruit. There's milk and honey. It all sounds great, but also there are giants in the land. The spies report to the people. There are giants in the land. In fact, the giants are so big and so intimidating that we felt like grasshoppers, they say. And so the people of God have just received this mixed report about the promised land. And here's what happens, verse 2. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I heard a couple of you laugh when I read that. It's silly. But let's just examine this a little bit and see how they got there, why they were saying this. 
As I said a moment ago, the people of Israel, they received this mixed report and God was about to release them from the wilderness. But instead of choosing to trust God and enter into the promised land, they decided instead to create these false narratives. One was based in nostalgia for the past. One was based in worry about the future. But make no mistake, both of these narratives were constructed by the people and they were both wrong. They were both lies. So the people made up two narratives and then totally started freaking out about the narratives they made up. One was based in nostalgia about the past. It was better in Egypt. No, it wasn't. And then they get very specific about the narrative they make up about the future, what's about to happen. Our wives and our little ones will become prey. No, they won't. You just made that up. And you're totally freaking out about what you made up. I wonder if you're laughing right now because you do this in your own life, maybe. I've been, I've been counseling a guy recently, and I caught him in this. He is being recruited to go work for another company, he and his whole team. And I've known this guy for a long time, and I've been counseling through a number of situations, He's about to be recruited, he and his whole team, five people, new company, bigger company, better pay, and he's being recruited to this place, and suddenly he's feeling really nostalgic about his old company, and he's feeling really loyal to his existing boss. And I've said to him, you hate it there. <laughs> that boss almost fired you one year ago. Suddenly, he's feeling very disloyal and very worried about what his current boss is going to think. That's nostalgia. It's a false narrative that this guy just created and started worrying about. And then he started talking about the new company. It's a big company. There's a lot of talent there. I don't know. I'm going to be a small fish in a big pond. What if my weaknesses get exposed among all those people who are better than me? And I said, you just made that up. You're all worried about something you just created. He did the very same thing that the people of God were doing. They could not receive the blessing that God was giving them because for some reason, they preferred to stay in the wilderness than receive the blessing. They weren't ready to trust God yet to win another battle for them out of their wilderness. Nostalgia, worry, false narratives... When we started the sermon series seven weeks ago, I told the story of when I was in the eighth grade and I hiked across something called Isle Royal. It's an island up in Lake Superior. And you might remember my boots were one size too big. It was a miserable experience. It rained and then there were mosquitoes of biblical proportion. <laughs> I didn't mention then that we ran out of food eventually and we had to go fishing for our dinner. And for these coddled eighth grade private school boys, this was a real hardship. We really were struggling. We were so hungry out there on those canoes, fishing, waiting for our dinner to come. And then once we caught them, we had to clean the fish and then cook them on an open fire. And while we were doing that, we started daydreaming about a promise we had heard about from the leader, the promise of this diner on the mainland, <laughs> where we were gonna get cheeseburgers and french fries. Well, eventually that wilderness, short as it was, eventually that wilderness did end and we made it to the mainland and we went to that diner and we sunk our teeth into those cheeseburgers and french fries and then we ordered more and we were so stuffed and we enjoyed it so much. 
well, for about a half an hour. And then we were on the school bus driving all the way back down through the state of Michigan towards our hometown. And you know that feeling you get when you're on a bus and you've just had cheeseburger and french fries? (laughs) Suddenly we started thinking about fishing for those trout. And we were cooking those fish over the open fire and how wonderful that was. You see what happened here? Suddenly we were nostalgic for the very thing we thought was a hardship just a couple of days prior. We couldn't receive the blessing of the cheeseburgers because we were caught in the past. Just like we couldn't receive the blessing of fishing for our own food because we were caught in the future thinking about the diner. Our own false narratives had robbed us of the gifts God was giving us. We choose to stay in the wildernesses of our own creation through nostalgia about the past and worry about the future. So what's the solution for this? How do we get out of this wilderness that we create? It's very simple, really. It's just being reminded of the truth. If these wildernesses are created out of false narratives, out of lies, then just being reminded of the truth can set us free. The truth will set you free from the wildernesses you create. That's all Joshua and Caleb do when they see the people totally freaking out about the narratives they created. Joshua and Caleb come, verse 6. It says this, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out? is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See what Joshua and Caleb did? They, sudden, they simply cut through the false narratives that the people had constructed. It was better in Egypt. It's going to be terrible. Joshua and Caleb said, here are the facts. The land, it's exceedingly good. And if the Lord delights in us, he'll lead us into that land. I love this phrase, if the Lord delights in us. If the Lord has proven nothing over the last year of their wilderness, it's that he delights in us. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He parted the Red Seas. He sent manna from heaven every single day. He brought water out of the rock, a cloud by day and a fire by night. He delights in us by providing all that we need and more. And so Joshua and Caleb say, look, here are the facts. It's a blessing that he's giving to us. And if he delights in us, he'll give it to us. They simply led the people into the truth and it cut through those false narratives that they had designed. I wonder if this is why Jesus at the Last Supper described the Holy Spirit in this way. He said, the spirit of truth will come and he will lead you into all truth. Jesus said a lot of things at the Last Supper. He even said several things about the Holy Spirit, but this one I think is really relevant For this phenomenon that we do, when we construct these false narratives, we freak out about the lies we tell ourselves. Jesus said at the Last Supper, rely on the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like our Joshua and our Caleb who simply, simply comes and tells us the truth. 
Jesus knew he was about to go to the cross. He was about to rise again, conquering death through his resurrection. And he knew that all kinds of false narratives were about to be told about those activities. And so Jesus says to us, call on the Holy Spirit. Are you confused? Are you stuck in a wilderness of your own creation? Call on the Holy Spirit to simply tell you what's true. Because God doesn't want us to live in the wilderness forever. And he loves us enough to set us free from the wildernesses even of our own creation. So he sends the Holy Spirit to set us free with the truth. I'm reminded of when in the Gospels, Jesus went up to the paralyzed person next to the pool and he said to the person, do you want to be well? Remember this story in the Gospels? Through this text, I hear the Holy Spirit asking us, do you want to get out of the wilderness? You know, sometimes I look around and I see people in their own wildernesses. I don't always know why. Sometimes it makes more sense to be the victim all the time. Sometimes it, we kind of wrap ourselves in the identity of being wronged, and that for some sick reason seems comfortable to us. Or we're so caught up in our nostalgic view of the way things used to be, or our worry about the way things might become, that for some sick reason we want to stay in the wilderness and the Holy Spirit saying to us today, do you really want to stay there? Because the truth will set you free. And what is the truth? The truth is that God is blessing us even now. God is blessing us today. It strikes me that several Sundays ago, we looked at the people of God and they were given the manna. Do you remember that story, the manna from heaven? And God specifically said he's giving them the manna to test them, to see if they would trust him. If they would trust him, they would not keep manna till the next day. And do you remember this? Did they pass the test? No. They kept the manna and it turned to maggots. It's a really gross part of the story. And then this very interesting verse later on in that same chapter where it says, God continued to give them manna from heaven for 40 more years. That's a fact. That's true. You can get caught up in the way things used to be or caught up in the way things might be. Or you can say, look, God gives me my daily bread today, right now. That's the truth. Even so, our hearts are so rebellious, we are so lost in our own wildernesses, sometimes when we hear a truth like that, when we hear a truth that could set us free from our wilderness, even then sometimes we reject the truth of God. That's what happened with the people. Look at verse 10 with me. Joshua and Caleb have delivered this beautiful truth. The land is exceedingly good, and if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring it there. And look at how the people respond, verse 10. They've just heard that report. And they say, verse 10, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. There's a twist in the plot. I didn't really see that coming. They've just been reminded of the truth, and even so, their hearts are so hardened, they pick up stones to, to reject the truth that they've just been told. Sometimes we do that. We hear the truth of God, and for some sick reason, we choose even then to remain in the wilderness, and I love the way the verse comes in. It shows how even then God's love intervenes. Look at verse 10 again with me. Then the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory. But 
the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. That's a dramatic scene. Caleb and Joshua have just delivered the facts, cutting through the narratives of nostalgia and worry, and the people pick up stones, and they're about to, to destroy the truth bringers who just came to them. But, but the glory, but the glory of God came. Somebody say, but the glory. That's right. But the glory comes and intervenes. A couple of Sundays ago, Heather preached on when the glory of God first appeared in the tabernacle. You remember she told us how in the text it says the glory of God came down on the tabernacle so thick and so real that Moses couldn't even enter into the tent because it was so full of the glory of God. He does it again right here, right when the people are about to stone Joshua and Caleb. But the glory comes. But the glory comes and descends on the tabernacle and on the people of God. God intervenes to these rebellious hearts who for some sick reason are choosing to stay in their own wilderness. But the glory. There's something really special happening on Sunday nights at Stanwich and Stanford. Some of you have been there in the last few weeks. You've heard me talk about it. And I think we're experiencing a real live, but the glory story. Those of you who've been there know. Last fall, I was looking around the room on Sunday nights, and I was the brand new senior pastor, suddenly responsible for all this stuff. And I'm looking around on Sunday nights, and I'm seeing the numbers really low, the attendance numbers. And I was like, oh man, this is not sustainable. And Gina Choi, our campus director, was noticing the same thing. And she said, we got to pray more. So she invited in the elders to pray before every Sunday night service. And there they are in the room next to the boxing gym. And they're on their knees praying. And eventually, slowly at first, but suddenly since January, there's been a massive shift in the atmosphere. And you know what it is? It's the glory of God. That room is full now. Not just with people, but with the glory of God. It's awesome. Y'all should come down there. We don't really have room for everybody, so maybe (laughs) come anyway. We'll make room. We'll break fire code again. But it is a but the glory story. And what encourages me about that is that that's possible for all of us. Maybe you're in one of these wildernesses. Maybe you're in a wilderness where God has you there and he's doing his work in you, but maybe... Also, some of you here are in a wilderness of your own construct. And it's fueled by fear when you've just heard bad news like the people did or fear about the future or nostalgia about the past. You're stuck in one of those narratives that you made up. But the glory. Respond like Gina did when she saw the numbers going down. So we need to pray more. We need to get on our knees. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to come in and bring his glory, bring his truth. Say, here are the simple truths today. Not what it used to be like, not what it might be like in the future, but today I give you my glory and I give you my grace. We have manna too. We have daily bread. We come to this table every single Sunday to receive the simple truth, the simple reminder of God's blessing today. That truth, just coming to this table and receiving what he's given us today, we actually have all we need right here at this table. 
we have the forgiveness and grace and mercy of our God. That's enough for today. So if you're caught in nostalgia or caught in worry, just come to the table and receive his glory. It's right here in this room. I feel it every Sunday. This service too, not just Stanford but also his grace. Come to the table. We're going to start a new series next Sunday called Meals with Jesus. And in some sense, it's, an, it's another wilderness. Sometimes God brings us out of one wilderness and puts us in another because he's not done with us yet. So we start Lent now, but let's view this season of Lent as a new wilderness where we receive the manna, we receive the forgiveness, we receive the glory of God. May that truth cut through all of our false narratives, church. Amen.